You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We're continuing in the book of Hebrews. Today we're starting chapter 11 in Hebrews, uh, possibly one of the most um, popular or well-known chapters in Scripture, at least in the New Testament, that's Hebrews chapter 11, commonly known as the Hall of Faith. We'll be reading the first seven verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is God's word. Yeah, so we see here, this is where we find this catalog of faith, a catalog of 10 men and women, biblical characters, who are commended for their faith. We're meant to be encouraged by their example of faith. The Hebrews were facing difficult times. The Hebrew Christians to whom this letter is written, they're facing an an uncertain future. And through their examples of great faith that we find here in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews is saying, what you're going through right now is challenging, is difficult, it's pressing, it's It's testing your faith. But let me give you 10 examples of men and women who have gone before us, who have been tested in situations, some of which were far greater than yours and worse than yours, yet stood firm in their faith, and all of their suffering proved worth it. Because when the fullness of things come, All of the struggles we go through will prove to be costly, but always worth it. Let us be like them. Let us have a faith like them. Because no matter what suffering we endure, costly discipleship, courageous standing firm in our faith will always prove worth it. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at all 10 of these characters. This morning, we're going to look at three of them, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Now, those are there's a lot going on there, and so we have to skip over a lot of detail in our life, but, but we can see here the quality of faith and learn from them. Even though they are dead, they continue to speak. Their example of faith speaks to us. But before we get into their qualities, let's look at the definition of faith in the first three verses of chapter 11. What is faith? Verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? It means that Faith is the objective certainty that things announced 
will happen, even though they are not happening yet. This objective certainty of things announced, but not yet fully known. Things announced, primarily of God's word. God says something. We take him at his word. To have faith is to receive the word of God and to trust in it, to believe it. To ask questions like, what does God say? The objective certainty is believing that God, who reveals himself to us, is true and good. He says, this is who I am. Here is what I've done. Here's my history. So when God reveals himself to us, that's the objective evidence that we have. But there's a second part of that. Things not yet fully known. Those are the blessings of God's promises that we have yet to to, to receive the, the, the promises that we've yet to realize. We haven't fully realized the full consummation of, of our salvation. But we take him at his word, that one day we will be free from the consequences of sin. We will be free from the, the pain of sin. We will be free and fully in the presence of God's joy forever. Verse 2 simply says, this is who God commended. This is who God commended, people who took God at his word and lived their lives as if, as if what he said was true. The Bible is not filled with like superheroes. The Bible is not filled with these superhero men and women. It's filled with, with mortal men and women and children, normal people who chose to take God at his word and God commended them for it. God, I don't know how your promise will come true. I don't know how your word will, will come about. And right now, it seems as if uh, what you say is vulnerable and not going to come true, but I'm choosing to trust in you, and I'm, I'm willing to put my whole life on it. That's faith. And that's who God commends. In verse 3, the example of creation is given as an analogy for, for how faith works or what, what faith looks like, the definition of faith. So the writer says, let's, look, let's talk about creation for a second. There's an objective reality. There's an objective certainty of creation, but then there is something unknown about creation. What is the objective certainty of creation? We're here, <laughs> right? We exist. So what is the objective certainty? What's the evidence that God created? Just that we're here. That creation exists, and that proves God created. That's easy. But where does faith come in with all that? Well, we're told that there's something behind the works of creation that we do not see. There is something of spiritual nature that has happened, that continues to happen. We know it exists. We know that there's something behind the work of creation that is of spiritual nature that we cannot possibly discern or know fully. And God says, take my word for it. Even if we were present at creation, and if we were able to be there when things were created, which doesn't make sense, I understand that, but let's imagine that you were there. You wouldn't even be able to, to see because we, we are told that creation came about by God speaking it into existence, and you can't see words. And so even if we were there, it wouldn't prove anything to us. Even if we were there, we wouldn't know fully because there's something of a spiritual nature happening beyond it, behind it. You and I were brought into this world with, with one perspective. It's all about what we can taste and see and feel and touch. 
and smell. It's all about our, our senses engaging in the world with what we can comprehend cognitively, physically. We live by our senses, and God is saying there is much going on beyond your comprehension that you cannot possibly know what I am up to. And yet I will give you objective certainty. I will tell you who I am. I will tell you what I have done. I will tell you what is to come. And you have to trust in what you can't see. And we come into this world thinking, if I can feel it, then it must be real. If I can't see it, then it doesn't exist. Someone told me recently they don't believe in germs. Can't see it. Sorry, I won't get off on that. Okay, but faith, <laughs> but faith says this. There is something happening behind and beyond our senses that we cannot know. But because God has said it, I will live as if it is an objective certainty. Based on what? Based on his character, based on his trustworthiness, based on his righteousness, based on his holiness, his perfection. And so God reveals himself to us. He makes himself known. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is believing in what we do know and trusting God for what we don't know. And that is what we are called into. We are called into a life and an existence like that. That's what the Christian life is all about. Asking those questions, what has God told me? What do I know? Through his word, through his revelation, and everything that I cannot know, this is where I need to trust in God's character, trusting in his word. Here's, this is what it truly means to walk by faith. It is a grasping at the word of God, holding on to it for dear life, saying, even though there are things in here I cannot see, I will grasp on to God's promise as if it is true. I have this conviction that it is true because God says it is true, knowing that God is faithful to do everything that he said he would do. And Hebrews 11 tells of 10 people, 10 tales of men and women who have done exactly that. And we are meant to be encouraged by them. Let us be people who come along and actually live like that in the face of great difficulty. So let's dive into the first three, looking at the different qualities of faith and seeing what we can learn from here. Because we're not going to get into this huge character study of these, of these characters. Because what is in mind here in Hebrews 11 is the quality of faith, as a, as a demonstration of what faith looks like so that we can... So we can stand firm and be encouraged. First, it shows us that faith is an offering. Faith is a giving of ourselves. Faith is something that we offer to God. It is a surrendering to him. Here's what our passage says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he is commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This goes without saying. Abel is dead, but he continues to teach us what it looks like to live by faith. And faith is often much more difficult than you and I anticipate. Faith for Abel was much more difficult than he anticipated. It requires sacrifice, it requires endurance, and it requires patience. 
Faith is the offering of our whole lives to God in devotion to him. You know, often the idea of, of Christian faith is misunderstood, and it sounds a little like this. Faith is letting go and letting God. Get out of the way. Let God work. Let God do his thing. You just stand by and let him do. But faith is not that. Faith is actually something we actively push into, actively press into. Faith is us being actively present in, in trusting God, engaging our whole being in resting in what God has said, believing in what he has said, even if all of the evidence in our life is pointing to the opposite. It's what separated Abel from Cain. They both made an offering, but one was accepted. One was rejected. One was accepted only because it was offered in faith. Abel's offering was fixed on God. Cain's offering was fixed on himself for what he might get from God, what he might receive from God. And Abel offered a gift to God as if he was offering him whole self in complete, surrendered devotion to God, knowing and trusting in him. He offered it out of a love for God rather than a desire to get something from him. It's like the old story that comes to my mind of the humble gardener who presents a bunch of carrots to his king out of a love for his king and a devotion to his king, to esteem the greatness of his king, to give him a gift, to show of his love for him. And the king rewards this gardener with several acres of land as a gift to him, a blessing to him for his love. And another servant from a distance looks upon this and says, several acres of land for just a bushel of carrots? I can do better than that. What a deal. And so the next day, the second servant presents the king with a beautiful horse. The wise king, discerning the condition of this servant's heart, simply accepts the gift with a thank you. When the servant becomes confused and angry with the king and confronts the king, the king explains, the gardener gave me carrots, but you gave yourself a horse. You gave not for your love for me, but you gave desiring to receive something from me. One was an act of surrendered devotion, and one was a, an attempt at manipulating God, manipulating the king, manipulating blessing out of his hand. When we first come to God, our, our, we are prone to come to God just to get things from him. God, I'm, I'm, I'm troubled and I want to be at peace. God, I have questions and I want answers. God, I'm scared and, and, I, and I want to, to feel comfortable. The reasons that we go to God as we grow in true faith begin to change. We stop going to God as much to get things from him, but we go to God simply because we want to be with him. We love him. The best thing that happens in our day is to rekindle that communion with him. And the more that we mature and grow in our faith, the more our life and our pursuit of God is motivated by that. Just a desire to know him, to love him, to enjoy him. You just want him. You want to know him. You want to delight in him because you know there's absolutely nothing better that God can give you but himself. 
You don't go trying to manipulate blessings from his hand. You go to him because he's the best that you can have, and he offers himself freely to you. You pray to know him more. You repent of sin in order to know him more. You read his word to know him more. You obey his commands to to know and enjoy him more. And in this way, faith, like Abel's faith, is an offering. He comes, he brings his best to God. He says, here I am, I, I give myself wholly to you. Not to get things, but because I love you. And this is where Cain sinned. He was caught in a battle, and it wasn't an easy one. Sin's desire is to rule over us. Sin's desire is to try to convince us, don't give yourself completely to God. Keep some for yourself. Control some of it. Manage some of it. Because if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of you? And so sin's ploy is to teach us that we should not surrender our entire lives to God. Because the devil knows that salvation is found when we say to God, my life is yours. And so the devil tells us, hold on to a little bit of it. Hold tightly to some of it. Control some of it. Never give up full control of your life. And until we give ourselves wholly to God, until we give ourselves fully to him, we are enslaved to our own sin. Faith is an offering. Faith is is an emptying of our hands, an emptying of our heart to God. It's an act of self-giving love. Faith is saying, God, I am yours completely, wholly, unreservedly yours. And even in the face of challenges in our life, when we are tempted to think, okay, life is scary. I need to hold on to this. I need to grasp onto these things in the world. I need to manipulate God and others. Faith is trusting that God is faithful. That he will not misuse us. He will not betray us. He will not forsake us. That we can give ourselves wholly to him. Sometimes we think that faith is more like a a self-determination to do better. Think about what's your idea of faith? Sometimes the way people talk about faith, it sounds like this. I just need to have more faith, which means I just need to do better. I need to do more. I need to trust harder. And then when hard things happen in their life, they say, what happened? I believed, I prayed, I trusted, I fasted, I gave, I did 30 days of prayer, and, 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 and I read through the Bible in a year, <laughs> and I used all the right essential oils, <clears throat> what, what went wrong? And God might say, well, you did that for yourself, not for me. That may not be faith. It may be an attempt just to manipulate God to give you the things that you want. Faith is not so much a, a self-determination to do better, but a self-giving surrender of our lives. Even Now listen to this. Faith is a self-giving surrender of our lives, even if things don't get better. And that's the test of faith. Do we give ourselves to God when things go our way? Or do we give ourselves to God because he's not only deserving of it, but because we love him? 
This is what Abel did. I'm going I'm to give you myself. What Cain did was, he get, what do I get out of this? And when he saw that he sacrificed for God and he didn't get God's favor, he was angry and he killed his brother. And God warns him. He says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door like a lion and his, de- his desire is for you. Now that's interesting language because he doesn't say his desire is to eat you or kill you or maim you or disfigure you. He says his desire is for you. See, sin desires that we would give ourselves wholly and completely to our, our, our desires and its desires rather than to God. And so here it is, a, it is a battle of trust. It's a battle of desire. It's a battle for our lives. And so faith is an offering. You offer your life to God like that. That's Abel's faith. Enoch's faith shows us something wonderful as well. Faith is an instrument of deep relationship and friendship with God. We don't know much about Enoch, but here's what we do know, is that God wanted to be with Enoch in his immediate presence so much that he just plucked him out of the earth and said, you're coming up with me now. (laughs) I'm not going to wait for you to die. I'm not going to have something happen to you to die. I'm just going to take you because I want to be with you so badly. Enoch had one big accomplishment in his life that we know of. We don't know a lot about him, but we know that he had one big, prominent spiritual accomplishment. If Enoch had a tombstone, he doesn't because he didn't die. But if he did, his biggest accomplishment would be put on his tombstone, and it would simply say this, Enoch walked with God. We have this little and brief biography of Enoch in Scripture And what we know is that he was a man that walked with God. Genesis 5 says this, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. It's not a typo. (laughs) Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Enoch was commended for his walk. A walk with God is really talking about the manner in which we live our life with God, before God. I imagine there's uh, two kinds of tendencies that we fall into in thinking about how we relate to God on a day-to-day basis. One, God is too distant, or one, God is too familiar. The language of walking with God is a language of obedience and friendship, reverence and communion. His majesty and his personability. It's a level of personal comfort that we can have with God, a level of association that we can have with God that only comes by faith in Jesus. To walk with God is to live out this conviction of what we believe. Here's what I believe that God has said, and I'm living my life as if that is true. What does faith believe? If I could boil it down to this most simple of phrases, here's what faith believes in God as Enoch did. I belong to God and he belongs to me. I am his, he is mine, and that's it. To walk by faith is to live out that conviction. Why am I going to do this way? Or why am I going to live this way? Because I belong to God and he belongs to me. Why am I going to not do this thing? Because I belong to God and he belongs to me. 
Why am I going to value this certain thing? Because I belong to God. He belongs to me. That's my life. Let me paint a picture for you. Everyone lived so old back then. Adam lived for 930 years. We see here Enoch lived for, apparently he's still alive. (laughs) Right before Enoch was taken suddenly up to heaven. Think about this. Only one person in all of existence ever died of natural causes. It was Adam. Adam was the only and first person to ever die in seven generations of natural causes. Everyone was still alive. What was that like? So they they knew that someone died not of natural causes. Abel was murdered by his brother. So they knew, people knew that could happen. You could kill somebody. But then what was it like when someone was living for 930 years and then they just died and nothing happened to them? Now they know something else. You can die if someone kills you and you could die if no one kills you. But there's something else that they learned about Enoch. Not only you can die if someone kills you, you can die if no one kills you, now you can actually live forever. So they learned something new. And they're learning this all for the first time. It's possible to live forever. That you can actually live forever without dying. Their minds are blown. He's taken up to heaven. The history, this, these, uh, this story still continues. As the writer says, he's not, he didn't die, but he still teaches us. Not only is it possible to die, it's also possible to live forever. And because of his faith, he was able to live forever. And this is a precursor. Enoch's story is a precursor for what Jesus would teach us in the New Testament in John's chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. There is a way for us to live forever, even though we die. It comes through faith in the gift of God's grace offered to us in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only way to restore that relationship with God is not by changing our habits. This wasn't about Enoch changing his habits, but walking with God in pure joy and delight in who he is. Enoch's walk with God was so close, he sought God with all of his heart, God said to Enoch, you might as well just come up here now and just do what you're doing up here, what you're already doing down there. We see something about this pleasure that God takes in relationship with his people who walk with him. So faith is the instrument by which we enjoy this close relationship with God. You want closeness with God? It won't come through changing your habits. Do you want closeness, communion, intimacy with him? It won't, it won't come from comparing yourself to others and just being better. It will, be, it will come from walking with God in faith. Knowing that Christ has made way for that access to, to him, that friendship. Jesus says to his disciples, I don't, I don't call you servants anymore because of the word that I have preached to you. You are now my friends. You are now my friends. And because you are friends, you will have everything that I have. All that I have is yours. How do we get that? It's through faith. Faith is the instrument. Brings us finally to Noah, whose faith teaches us that faith is 
a believing response to God. Noah, we know about Noah, right? As God said to Noah to build him an arky arky, right? Something like that. We know the story of Noah. God tells Noah there's going to be a global flood. Flood is going to uh, kill all the inhabitants of the earth as an act of God's just punishment over the wickedness on the earth. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to see not so much the details of this story, but the details of Noah's faith in responding to God and believing God. If we live by faith, we will see that it will change the way we think. It will change the way we feel. It will change the way we live. If we truly believe in God, it will cause a life change. It will be faith in action. True, saving faith is never idle. Our passage clearly says that Noah was saved by faith. Now let me take a different approach. Wasn't Noah saved by the ark? I mean, how did he not drown? He got in the boat. He, he, the ark saved Noah, right? Did faith keep him from drowning? Did faith save his family from the flood? Did faith make Noah righteous? Was it faith or was it the ark that saved him? The answer is yes, of course, right? The answer is yes. He's using, this, he's using the actions of Noah saying he, he got into the boat, he trusted God, he built the boat over 120 years, he endured all of that so that we could be known as people who are saved by faith. Because faith is always a believing response to God. Faith is always in action. We said it before, but faith is the objective certainty of things announced but not yet fully known. When Noah heard the information the objective certainty of what God said. He says, I'm giving you facts. I'm giving you information. This will happen. And after understanding all the implications of it and understanding the one who is speaking these things as trustworthy, it rattled him to the core. We are told that he had fear, fear of God. Reverent fear, a right fear of God that takes God at his word and believes him that he will do everything he said he will do. Faith is it's not a one-time act. It's a commitment. For, for Noah, it was a commitment of 120 years. 120 years of godly courage to believe God when all the evidence pointed in the opposite direction. Noah, after hearing of God's commands, committed himself to 120 years of building an ark. Imagine the ridicule during that time living in the desert, never seeing rain, crazy Noah, building a boat. Do you, ever, do you think Noah ever was hesitant, hesitated? Do you ever think he was tempted to give up? We can only imagine, right? Seems reasonable. 120 years of building this and all the ridicule and all the scorn, I imagine he did. But here is what it, faith does. Here's what it looks like. Christian courage is holding on a little longer while we wait for God's promises to come true. How much longer do you need to endure in courage until God acts? My answer to you is just a little longer. 
just a little longer. And tomorrow we wake up and, and we ask ourselves again, how much longer do I need to endure until God does what he says? Just a little longer. That's always the answer until God does it. But that's faith. It's Christian courage is to say, I just need to hold on in faith just a little longer until God provides. And when he does provide, it will all prove worthwhile. People of faith will live recognizably different lives. They will embrace recognizably different values compared to the world and will often be recognized or, or recognizably opposed by the world around them. Noah is a great example of this. His life will look different. His values will be different. His actions will look different. And his opposition will be obvious. Your life will be an echo and a visible representation of what you believe to be ultimately true. I think someone came into our house and said you can tell a lot by a person by looking at their bookshelf and their fridge. <laughs> Maybe feel really insecure. <laughs> I was like, what's on there? What's in there? Right? I, I'll add another one. A checkbook is another good one. Or if you don't have checkbooks, um, your, I don't know, your bank app. Your life will echo what you believe. Well, I believe this about God. Does your life demonstrate that? My life is hidden in his love. Does your life represent that? Pure joy. <laughs> Noah built a boat because he had faith in what God said, and it saved him. What, what life is your faith building? Because we're all building something. We're building a life. Our, our actions are, are, are building a life. Our choices are building a life. Our thoughts are building a life. Our thoughts are building emotions and building feelings. Our life is propelling, our actions are propelling us forward. Is it an echo? Is it, it, is a, is it a representation of faith? When we talk about Noah, we often talk a lot about what happens before the flood. We don't talk so much about what happens after the flood, but there's something really good there. When, when, when he gets off the boat, he doesn't just like, you know, he doesn't do like a, an end zone celebration, which you would think that's what he does, right? You might think he would just be like looking at his wife and say, you made a good choice in marrying me, right? <laughs> you, you picked the right guy. He didn't look at his sons and say, who's the best dad in the world? You know, and they're like, you're the only dad in the world now. <laughs> There's literally one dad. Number one dad. No, this, this process did not make Noah proud. The process didn't make him say like, yes, I'm, I did a good job. Last one standing. This process humbled him. And the first chance he gets, what does he do? He spends the first chance he gets, gets in repentance before God. He slits the throats of some animals that he saved as an offering to God. He repents of his sins. He praises God. He sees his own sin in the process, not his own righteousness. He sees his weakness. He sees his frailty. 
And after seeing all this, he would, he would say, it's a demonstration of saying, God, I can't believe that you love me this much. I can't believe that you saved me. I can't believe that you spared me. I can't believe that you continue to bless me now. I don't deserve any of this. And that's real faith. Because it's, it's not centered on us. It's not a belief in what we can do. It is a trusting in God in the worst of circumstances. And then when God shows himself faithful, our response is one of just immeasurable gratitude and sense of unworthiness. So that it would be clear that God is, that in his love and kindness and his grace is everything that we need. That if any good comes to us, it is always through the hand of God and not anything that we could bring to the table. And every time we see sacrifice in Scripture, we are meant to think of Jesus. It is meant to remind us of the sacrifice of which the writer of Hebrews has spent 10 chapters talking about. The need for sacrifice, the need for the shedding of blood. Character studies like this are, are meant to show us the quality of faith. They are not meant to, to make us want to be more like Noah or more like Enoch or more like Abel. They are meant to show us our lack of faith, our need for repentance, the quality of faith that, that God desires, our repentance to God for our failure, and then our trust in his provision for all of our weaknesses, namely Jesus Christ his life, his death, and his resurrection for us. Being like Abel and Noah and these others, that's not our goal. Knowing Jesus, to whom all of these characters point, that's our goal. To depend on him, to see through Christ that God provides everything we need. Faith is something to be believed. And when we believe it, it will always lead to a believing response. What's your response today? We might be in different places. I assume that we are. Maybe it's a response of trust. God, I haven't been trusting you. I've been doubting you. I've been doubting your faithfulness. And you are a God who has done everything he said he would do. So the problem doesn't lie with you. The problem is in my lack of trust. Help me trust. It may be a response of forgiveness, a response of forgiveness for somebody who has sinned against you, or a response of seeking forgiveness for someone you have offended. It could be a response of repentance. God, I've been living in unrepented sin. It's been nagging at me, gnawing at me. It has been conflicting me. And I need to just admit to you, I know that this is sin, and I need to turn the other way. I need to turn from my sin that leads to death, and I need to turn to you, which leads to life. It could be a response of seeking him, Maybe you're saying, I go about my day, it's so busy, I'm so distracted, I spend so much, so little time in my life just actually seeking God, solitude and relationship with him. I want to be, I want to have that faith like Abel, who, who on the, what if your tombstone just said, like, he walked with God, she lived with God, she walked with God. Maybe it's a response of devotion. Maybe it's a response of trust and rest. Maybe it's a response of something else. What is your response? You can do it. You can trust in him. He will empower you. 
when we give ourselves completely and wholly to him. He will strengthen us where we are lacking and will give us joy where we are feeling despair. He will commend us for our faith. We can trust in him.